Hi y'all. It is currently 10.36 p.m. on September 29th, 2020, and I am just recording this episode, my first episode, for the launch of my podcast, which you are now listening to. Now, I had an entire episode recorded with graphics created, ready to go. However, I'm fresh off of the first round of the presidential debates between Trump and Biden. And I just have so much to say. Hopefully that's why a lot of you all are tuning in right now, is to hear exactly what my takeaway was and what my thoughts are on politics in general. If you would like to hear my thoughts about future debates before the episode's release, you can follow me on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at what are you running for, and on Twitter at running for pod. And if you feel so inclined to, at the end of this episode, go ahead and give me a subscriber follow to wherever you're listening to this podcast. This will not be your typical political podcast. I do not plan on using it to focus on debating others with opposing views or discussing detailed policy reviews or analyses. I myself have always been turned off by those sorts of podcasts. I'm not going to lie. I rarely, if ever, watch the news. This is actually the first time in forever that I've tuned in to any sort of presidential debate, at least that Trump has been a part of. And I found out that there's a reason why I do not tune in. Because for the life of me, I cannot understand how someone could continue to support him and to blindly follow in his lead. I was raised by a, I would say, 50-50 progressive conservative family. On both sides, there were defining values that overlapped, that, that those two sides had in common you know, valuing family. My family means the world to me. Valuing hard work and actually putting in the time and earning your respect. The value of education, the value of respect and treating people with respect and the value of love. And when I sit here and I think about Trump, I cannot even begin to imagine how disappointed my family would be in me if I were anything like him, if I showed up to Thanksgiving, to family get-togethers, to barbecues, to Christmas, and I acted the way that he did, my family on both sides, regardless of where they fall on the political spectrum, both sides would have been very quickly to put me in my place and disown me. So if these are the values that we want to instill in our children, or that we just want to instill in society in general, if we want to teach people to respect one another and to lead with care and compassion and to get an education, then how can you continue to support someone who stands for the exact opposite? And if you're listening to this, I don't expect you to be a Trump supporter. I, I honestly don't. And I would like to point out that I am emphasizing Trump supporter 
because that is a whole different breed of Republican. Just because you are Republican or libertarian or moderate doesn't mean that I automatically dislike you or think that you are a bad person or that you're uneducated or that you're ignorant. That is completely not true and that's just the way my mind does not think. I'm sorry to those who may be disappointed that I won't immediately write people off, but I just won't. I have been taught to not do so, and that's just the way that I choose to live by. In all honesty, I don't hate Trump supporters. I don't wish that they all died. I don't, you know, wish ill upon their families. Instead, I just feel so confused. I feel so confused because I myself have, you know, I, I don't want to say I love Trump supporters, but there's people in my family who are Trump supporters. Some of my best friends are Trump supporters, and I absolutely love them. I think in their heart of hearts that they are great people. So it just confuses me as to how they could continue to support someone like him. Now, I'm not going to use this entire podcast episode to bash Trump or just to talk a whole bunch of crap about him because I've always felt that that's the wrong way to go about it. Just because I'm progressive doesn't mean I'm obsessed with the Democratic Party and think that we're a perfect party either because I think we're very far from it. I think that we waste too much time bashing Trump instead of just letting our actions speak for themselves. However, I also understand that with a Republican-controlled Senate, it's hard to let our actions speak because we can't get anything through Mitch McConnell. Today was actually the first time that I have ever blocked someone for supporting Trump. And I've always wanted to steer away from that. I've always wanted to veer away from blocking people who have opposing views because I feel like that can really limit your bubble and I try my best to empathize and to at least try to understand the way someone with opposing views might come to the decision that they do. I honestly do try my hardest and you know my friends and family members can vouch for that. So it hurt me to have to block this family member, but I just don't have the patience anymore. I cannot allow that type of negative energy to exist. I cannot allow it to have a platform. So on this podcast, do not expect for me to bring on people who have very ignorant opposing views. It will not happen. I know that... We like to think that it is more virtuous to remain amicable with people who have different views than we do. One thing that I said the other day when it comes to being virtuous was that I myself cannot allow my fellow brothers and sisters to suffer because of some higher, more virtuous moral code that I want to live by. And frankly, that's what it is when you sit on the sidelines and you allow people to have a platform to spew hatred. That's exactly what it is. Because if you have to do wrong to others, even if it's indirectly, is it really a more virtuous path that you're taking? Truly ask yourself that question. I won't act like I'm the perfect person because I'm not. 
I, I really am far from it. Um, and there will be a lot of people to tell you that I am definitely not a perfect person. So for the next 10 or so minutes, I am going to walk you through my life, including all the good and the bad that I've ever done or experienced. Because if I'm going to be sitting here and casting stones, you need to know exactly who I am and all my mistakes. I will always, always, always fess up to my mistakes. And I will never, ever claim that I'm even trying to be a perfect person because that's a standard that I unfortunately will never be able to live up to. Now, a lot of people have asked me, why would I want to basically out all of my failures and all of the skeletons in my closet right from the get-go? Because won't I lose listeners? Won't I lose supporters? When instead I'm supposed to be here enticing you to want to support me and to want to continue listening to me? But the way that I see it, is that if I'm going to ask you to support me and to follow along in my journey of running for office, you deserve to know exactly what you're getting yourself into, or rather, who you're getting yourself into. So, my name is Claudia, I'm 26, and I currently live in Austin, Texas. I was born here and lived here for about nine years before moving to the south in an area known as the Rio Grande Valley in a town called Mission. I lived there for about nine years as well. And I will get to a whole episode about what it is like living in the Rio Grande Valley because it is such an interesting place that has really shaped who I am. But there are others who have had the same experiences that I've had, but have turned out a little bit differently at least politically. After completing high school in Mission, I started my first semester of college at NYU. I was only there for one semester. It was very, very quick, very painful. I'll keep this short, but I left because Hurricane Sandy made me realize very early on how important it was for me to have family near me in case of emergencies. So I left NYU and attended St. Edward's here in Austin for one semester. After that, I finally made my third and final transfer to UT Austin, where I ultimately graduated from. And this is where all of the bad kind of starts happening. Because I had transferred so much, it was very difficult for me to find my footing at a university because all three universities were vastly different from one another. And I ended up failing all five of my classes my first semester at UT. So don't anybody ask me for a copy of my transcripts because I can tell you right now that they are not going to look good. And I know that's like a thing that people like to do now is to judge people based on their transcripts. But I honestly just think that that's a low blow um, and I'm not here for it. And that habit of not failing my classes, but struggling continued my second semester at UT. It wasn't until my sophomore year at UT that I finally started feeling more comfortable in this new city and really getting a good grasp on my classes. So I got a couple of internships, one with the Texas House of Representatives and Another one with the Annette Strauss Institute with their project Vote Smart. I'm not going to sit here and act 
high and mighty because I had those internships. Because in all honesty, anyone can get an internship. Guys, you're just gonna learn that that's not who I am. That's not my vibe and that's not the kind of energy that I'm going to be giving out. Having those internships taught me many different things. My internship with the Texas House of Representatives taught me about all of the little detailed work that goes into maintaining public office. It's all these small little behind the scenes things that no one ever thinks of because we always think immediately when we think about a legislator, we think about you know writing legislation and policies and meetings with lobbyists. And it is some of that, but a great big portion of it that people don't think about it is your constituents. It's meeting with your constituents who are having issues and getting to the root of them and helping them figure it out. And if anything, what I gained from that internship that I will always carry with me is the value of relationships and honoring the fact that we are always people first. That is extraordinarily important to me. And it's something that I hope I never lose. I hope that I don't become jaded as I go through this journey of running for office and lose that sense of purity. Because in all honesty, it's really hard to find a seasoned politician who still thinks that way. My internship with the Annette Strauss Institute was nonpartisan, meaning it wasn't progressive, it wasn't conservative, it wasn't liberal, it wasn't independent. And so I had to learn how to read policies and analyze them from a very nonpartisan, very facts-based point of view. And although it was hard at times, because if y'all know me, you know that I always like to put my twist or two cents on something, it taught me how to forego that. It really taught me how to view opposing thoughts transform into policies. Let's face it, not all of us keep up with all of the legislation that's passed. Not all of us go and read all of the bills and read the language in the bills and compare them and go back and watch committees speak and and look at amendments that were made because it, it's just too much. There's so much that there's no way that you would be able to keep up with all of it as one person. And on top of that, some of it is very, very hard to understand. And I will be the first to admit that, that there are times when I will read a piece of legislation and I have like a general idea of what it's talking about, but it's so elitist. Yes, I'm going to say elitist because it most definitely is that it's nearly impossible for a common person to understand exactly what it's saying. I learned all of this my sophomore year in college, and I spent my junior and my senior year at UT becoming heavily involved in student government. Student government, starting from elementary school, has always been something that interested me, and I was involved, I was extraordinarily involved, probably too involved if you ask some of my classmates, but it's because I just had so much passion and care. I could see inequalities and a lack of fairness sometimes in how policies and rules and budgets were determined. And so I just had to say something, I had to speak up. And I'm sorry to my classmates because it was probably annoying. It came from the bottom of my heart and it still does. 
So I spent those two years in student government advocating on behalf of non-traditional students. So students who are over 25, transfer students, veterans, international students. And I got to meet an array of individuals with so many different backgrounds. And to me, that was the part that I loved about being involved in student government was getting to meet people with different backgrounds and different outlooks, but understanding that we all faced the same collective issues and figuring out what the best way was to address those issues. So once again, I'm gonna say I'm not perfect, but I have a huge freaking heart, y'all. And it may be one of my biggest weaknesses. Some people might think it is, I feel that we live in a time where compassion and empathy and care and being quote unquote soft is seen as a weakness. But I feel that it's my biggest strength because I lead and I speak from the heart and I honestly genuinely care about each and every single one of you all. This is where the juicy tidbits come in about the bad things that I might have done or said. So here goes nothing. I will admit that, yes, I have sent nude photos and videos. And before you say, oh, Claudia, you know, why did you even like give that detail out? Because even if those photos come out, like, you know, your face isn't in them or anything. Well, no, guys, I was really stupid and willingly and and knowingly put my face in these photos and videos. Now, they may lie in the hands of people who no longer have them, or they may lie within the hands of people who do have them and hate me. So if they get leaked, just know that I, you, you know, that you heard it here first and that I fessed up to having them. And before you start judging me about exchanging sexual photos and videos, go ahead and Pause right there and admit it that you have exchanged pleasantries before as well. So don't start judging me because who's really calling the kettle black, okay? One of the things that I'm not proud of um, is that in my lifetime, I know, I know for a fact I have laughed at really insensitive jokes and not just politically incorrect jokes, but just flat out insensitive, racist jokes. I would like you to keep in mind that I was maybe 12 to 16 whenever this was happening. So I was in middle school and maybe a sophomore in high school whenever my personality allowed for that type of speech to be entertaining to me. But I grew out of it. I am telling you right here, right now, I have completely grown out of it. On top of that, I'm pretty sure that somewhere during that time period, I said some really insensitive jokes. So if you hear rumors about like, oh, well, you know, when Claudia was um, 14, she said this, you know, and it's like really bad. Or, hey, dude, remember that one time that Claudia said, you know, this, this or that? Uh, yeah, we should like leak it so that way people, you know, hate her and people can see that she's not a perfect person. Before you even go there, just know that at that time, I also was in love with Panic at the Disco. And I really actually truly thought that I was going to marry Brendan Urie. 
So that just goes to show my mindset at that age. And luckily, I have grown since then. I have learned from my mistakes. And I know I can't take back what I said, but I can do my best to prove to you that I truly am sorry for even allowing that to happen. I also want to apologize because I most definitely have sat silent when I should have spoken up. In the beginning of this episode, I talked about how this is the first time today that I've ever blocked someone because they've had opposing political views. In all honesty, I feel really guilty about it because I thought that I was taking a much more virtuous and and higher path by not allowing that to interfere with the way that I interacted with certain people. But now I see, and I think I've known this, that sitting in silence is just as bad as joining in. Another little juicy secret or skeleton, whatever it is that you want to call it, that uh, may or may not come out is that I was a sex addict. While I was starting at UT Austin, I turned to sex to fill a void in my life. Now, don't get me wrong, I am a very proud hoe. I do not mean the word hoe in a derogatory way because I hold that hoe flag very, very high. But I understand that my headspace was not the best during some of those sexual interactions that I had. Sometimes it was wanted and it was great and I was in a good headspace. So not all of it is bad. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm ashamed for having a lot of sex because I'm not. One thing that I will also never be ashamed of is the fact that I suffer from anxiety and depression. And I'm not ashamed of those things and I'm not necessarily proud of those things either. Instead, I just feel like it's normal. I feel neutral about those things. They are just parts of me. If you want to be able to understand me and my thought process and exactly how I think the way that I do or why I feel about humanity the way that I do, you must know that my anxiety and my depression affect that. If anything, my anxiety and depression stem from the fact that I just care way too damn much. And sometimes I honestly wish that I didn't because I feel like it would be a much simpler life and a much happier, more blissful life that I would be living right now. But those things strengthen me. They add to my passion and care and they add to my heart and they allow me to have this level of empathy that I wish more politicians had. And before you start throwing any praises my way saying, oh my gosh, Claudia, you're so brave for, you know, sharing that you suffer from anxiety and depression. Oh my gosh, like, wow. Please don't, don't, do not throw any praises my way. The more that we hype it up anytime someone talks about having a mental illness, the more that we indirectly add to the stigma of having one in the first place. We will just add to the idea that having a mental illness is something that people should be nervous about telling others. And it's not. It's a very normal thing to have and to experience. And it happens to all of us. 
if you are not human, then maybe you don't suffer from anxiety and or depression or bipolar disorder or adjustment disorder. But I guarantee you that if you are human, you suffer from something. One of my other flaws is that I can be bossy and I can be very impatient. And when you're striving to work in government and when you're striving to lead others, those sometimes aren't the best characteristics to have. And I am trying every day to be a much more patient person. And I think the bossiness stems from me not being patient. And when you're, you know, once again, trying to be involved in politics and trying to write legislation and trying to create true reform, patience is key. It's key, y'all. And it's hard. It is so hard having to be patient and wait for legislation to be written and for it to be amended and re-amended and to find sponsors and to find budget in order to support whatever program it is that you're trying to create. It is so hard because there is so much bureaucracy that goes into it and it can get really annoying. Like it, it really, it can get extremely annoying because it just seems so dumb to put so many barricades in the way to create lasting change or to have major reforms. But those barriers were initially put in place to help protect the people of the United States, to protect us from abuse of power. However, as we have learned over the last couple of what, I don't know, decades, centuries since the U.S. has been around, is that those barriers were created by people who look nothing like the majority of the United States anymore. And so here's where I come in. I want to see politics played with people. And I, I, and I don't mean that like literally playing with people's lives. I mean, politics is a game. And I want to normalize the idea that a normal average Joe, such as myself, can join. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a great example of that. And some of y'all may not like her. I really don't care because I think she's freaking amazing because that truly is what I think politics should look like. It should be your average Joes who care about you and who want to create change. It should be those people who are given the opportunity to create legislation and to create change and to come up with programs because we are the ones living out here who know, you know, on the ground what the issues are and how they affect us. I come from poverty. I was raised by a single mother who was a migrant worker. She's told me stories about, you know, picking cotton and picking tomatoes and oranges and all of the difficulties that she faced as a child and all of the inequality that she faced, even when she was in college, all of the racism that she faced. And it made her a less confident person. And so I have seen what belittling others can do. I have seen that all these injustices that continue to happen really can affect people who don't deserve them. Some people are just born into very unlucky situations. And I hope that I can empower those people 
to help ease their their situations a little bit more. I know that I will never ever be able to make every single person's life perfect and to make sure that they don't suffer from trauma or abuse or lack of support. I know that I cannot guarantee that, but I am going to try my damnedest to make sure that I make it easier for you. And that is the type of politics that I want to see. I want to see the type of politics that I'm throwing at y'all right now. And like I said, and I will say it a million times, I am not perfect. But I think that change and this sort of outlook is good. And it's the reform that we need. Here are a few other small tidbits about my life. In case someone tries to go out on a smear campaign against me. I come from a broken family. Like I said a few seconds ago, I was raised by a single mother. She was a teacher for over 25 years, so I most definitely know what it means to live paycheck to paycheck. I suffered from abuse, emotional and physical, growing up. My dad walked out of my life when I was 15, created a lot of trauma there, guys. And so yes, I have daddy issues, but that really isn't my fault. That's at the fault of the fathers, and I wish that we stressed that more instead of blaming the child. And yeah, I obviously feel a certain type of way about that, so I'm just going to stop right there. I have been admitted into intensive outpatient therapy treatments at two different behavioral health centers within the last seven years, with the most recent admission being this past summer. I go to therapy every week on a regular basis, I fight my own battles and I struggle with my own demons. If any of those things make me unfit to run for office, then that is not a country that I want to be a part of. I am not here to judge you based on your traumas, based on issues that you've had, based on abuse that you've suffered, I'm not here to judge you based on your social class, your economic class, whether it's good or bad. I am looking at you as a person from one human being to another. And I genuinely want to know what's in your heart because I feel that if I were to sit down with, a, let's say a thousand people, they have all different backgrounds and come from all walks of life. I would find that we have very similar root values. And those are the things that I like to focus on. So if you're looking for someone who is going to be fiery and be that angry, that is in me. I just express it differently and I act upon it differently. And I would also like to know, I hate using the word angry to describe people who are impassioned and are upset with the current state of affairs. I just don't know another word for it. So if someone could please educate me, reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and let me know how to better describe that, that would be very kind of you. If you've made it this far into the podcast, I wanna say thank you for listening to me and for giving me your time. I truly am humbled because I live with the idea that no one cares about what I have to say. So even if it's just three of y'all and one of them could be my sister who are listening, I am very humbled that you have given me the time of day. 
I hope you see what I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast and what I am trying to accomplish in changing politics, period. I'm tired of establishment and business as usual. And I've always said that I was going to run for office literally since I was seven years old. And I figured, you know, why, why the hell not? I've always thought that I needed to be ready, however it is that I was going to define that, in order to run for office. There's this idea that you have to have a certain education, that you have to speak a certain way, that you have to come from a certain background in order to be in politics. And I'm here to tell y'all, fuck that. We are going to have a wild ride over the next couple of weeks and months and maybe years. We'll see if I last that long. So if you're still with me after hearing all of this, I would like to officially welcome you to Running for Office. I'm your host, Claudia. Catch you on the next one.